What a wonderful day today is. Isn't it great when a day starts off okay, but then slowly gets better? It's not good all the way through. It has moments that aren't good at all, and moments that are quite grotty, to be honest. But then it pulls itself back. And that's a bit like the weather outside at the moment. The sky that I can see from my home window is just full of full-bodied clouds that are racing across the sky. And from those clouds, we're getting the occasional dramatic downpour of big, fat raindrops. At the moment, the leaves on the trees are blowing around and the sun is broken through, giving that lovely, dramatic cheer to it all. And I'm at home, alone. My wife and children have gone out for a while, leaving me here, holding in my hand one of my favourite glasses. It's a Glen Cairn whiskey tasting glass, but it's one that I got from the very first Whiskey Live event that I went to in London. And it's a glass that's become important to me. But what makes this glass even more special today is inside of this glass, I have got a sample of whiskey that has been sent to me direct from the cask. This whiskey is the one that I have selected with help from other people to be the very first, the Malted Muse own bottling. Now, brilliant. This is, in my opinion, and it is only my opinion, a pale lemon strawed coloured spirit with thin, close and small legs that move slowly down the glass. The nose, strong vanilla with that apricot, sea breeze characteristic that goes with it. It's a smell that grabs you. It's one of those interesting aromas that you're not too sure whether you could really lose yourself in it, but then again, you want to go back and smell it more and more. Let's have a taste of it. Wow. That's such a strong mouthfeel. And what's more, it builds in the mouth as well. It's got such a rich velvety texture yet at the same time it's still edgy there's vanilla in there that's for certain but it's also toasted orange peel and there's a slight nuttiness on the finish fantastic I'm not going to describe this whiskey much more because this whiskey is available there for you to try as well let me tell you a little bit about it though this whiskey is from the Tobermory Distillery. Now, as I pick up Ingvar Ron's The Mort Whiskey Yearbook 2011, on page 189, there's a thing there saying, Meet the manager, Ian Macmillan, Master Blender, General Distilleries Manager of Bunnerhaven, Deanston and Tobermory Distilleries. And there's an interview with him there. And one of the questions he is asked is, what is your favourite expression of Tobermory and why? And his answer is, the Tobermory whiskies are very approachable at a young age, but also age extremely well. My current favourite expressions are the Tobermory 15-year-old and the Lechig 10-year-old. 
but look out in a few years for an astonishing Lechig 40 year old that will be released in 2012. Now I find this very interesting. I found the fact that he has got a current favourite expression of a Tobermory 15 year old. And the reason I find that interesting is because that is what this whiskey in my glass is. This is a single cask, cask strength, Tobermory 15 year old whiskey. And it is full of character. Absolutely jam-packed with it. Now it's been quite a journey for me to, to choose this whiskey. I'd like to tell you why this is the one that I've picked out to be the very first of the Morton Muse labelled whiskies. It came about initially when I was tasting some new releases from Tobermory for the podcast, The Malted Muse Podcast. And you can hear those, that, that tasting in episodes 26 and 27. There's two episodes because there is so much to say about this. Tobermory and the Chig. It was whilst tasting the new release Tobermory that it suddenly hit me that this was a whiskey that if I was out on a, on a fishing boat, at the end of the day, I would be thinking to myself, oh, as soon as I get in, I'm having a glass of this whiskey. It would be calling me home. And then it hit me, the home calling. That is what this whiskey was. So then the search began to find one that expressed that even more. And that is what this whiskey is. And that is why I've called it the home calling. I tasted this whiskey. Oh, and by the way, if you want to know more about Tobermory Distillery, then I would suggest downloading those episodes, 26, 27, Tobermory and the Chig from the Morted Muse podcast. So when I tasted this whiskey, what was it that it, it brought up in me? This element of home calling. Well, it brought back to me a story of when I was a student. See, the story I want to put to this whiskey is a personal one. It's a true story from my own life. That is very self-indulgent, I know. But at the same time, I hope to be open to be honest. See, I could have looked at any of the great stories based on the journey home, of adventures, of classic characterizations, and most of them would most likely fit. It is a classic story theme, the journey home. But what I wanted to do is to bring that personal element into it. So instead, I have chosen to select one that is as personal to me as the experience of tasting the whiskey was that first time. Now to understand why I chose this whiskey, one needs to understand the impact it had on me and to understand that, you're going to have to know a little bit about me. Now, as a child, I was not a model pupil. I was not an aggressive boy, in fact, far from it. I don't think I was a rebel or a layabout, but I do think I was bored at school and was unguided. To me, the most interesting things about school 
related to how to get out of it. Sometimes this is through music or drama, and sometimes it was by truanting. The more school tried to keep me there, which, to be honest, wasn't very much, the more I found ways to escape, which, to be honest, was a lot. Away from school was a world of peace and freedom. I lived near Southampton, but would travel to either London or Bournemouth or Weymouth and back in a day without anyone knowing. One of my favourite places, however, was on my own doorstep, the marshland area at the top of Southampton waters. This area, with its beware of quicksand signs, was my retreat. Here I found space. Years of playing with friends in the marsh, of making dens and exploring every corner, got me into a position where I didn't come home with muddy clothes. I knew this area very well. I knew how to hide, how to travel without sinking. I knew how to, but sometimes I sank anyway. We made boats and sailed the riverways and nearly drowned many a time as I had not learnt to swim. The marsh was a dangerous place, often fenced off, but to me it was a part of home. Years went by and strange things happened to me. My strong hatred of school was replaced by a keen interest in learning. I began to study in ways I would not have dreamt of, and in fact I still do study in those ways. I left the marsh, I left home and worked. After a while I found myself doing registered mental health nurse training. I had become such a keen student that I was asked to represent the school in an international conference in Germany. The drawback was that I'd have to miss two weeks night shift placement in what was then known as psychogeriatrics. Now I was hating the idea of doing night shifts so when that news was broken to me I was absolutely over the moon. One week before the conference it was cancelled and I ended up on the wards in very cold weather. Shifts were long and hard and I was totally, totally fed up. Eventually I had a weekend off and I was looking forward to a surprise visit home. The weekend came and so did the snow. I got in my car and my car just gave up. The engine, which had been a problem, had just completely given up the ghost. I was not going to give up myself, however. I had no money for a train fare. I had no phone, no car, and was miles away from home. I was so tired that the thing I needed most was sleep. Yet deep inside there was a stronger desire, the desire to go home. No car, no money, too far to walk. I packed a small rucksack and began to walk anyway. Snow lay on the ground, still falling and deepening as I went. Now I knew that I could not walk all the way, but I thought if I could just get out of Basingstoke and put out a thumb, I might be able to catch a lift. 
Now, I don't remember much of that trek. Basingstoke is not known for being memorable. The unimaginative town planning and repetitive housing left little impression. Being tired and cold, the lift I managed to get also went by without a memorable event. What I do remember is that the motorway passed by the northern tip of the marsh and that was where I was dropped off. My choice was either to take a very long walk around the marsh following your carriageway and motorway then through the town of Totten back up to home or to go a very much shorter trek straight across the marsh and then home. The latter option won the day and off I went, off the roadside and down the track leading into the marsh. In Basingstoke it was heavy snow. Here, instead of snow, it was rain and sleet. Snow didn't settle on the marsh. But the swelling river, the high tide, the wet weather made the marsh a very soggy place. Surface water laid, making my shoes wet from the start. I knew it would be dangerously soft, but I also could remember the route. I should be okay, I thought, and I carried on. I soon came to the place we called Whitey, otherwise known as White Bridge. Here there was a single footpath bridge crossing a fast-moving river with a bed of deep mud. I had nearly drowned there as a child. I had made a raft and fallen off. I tried to stand on the bottom of the river, but my feet sank deeper in. I remember the water level reaching my chin, and still I sank. Somehow, I managed to get a grip of the raft and pulled myself up. But as they say, that is another story. Next to the bridge were the remnants of another bridge, a larger bridge, that once carried vehicles. What ones and where to, I don't know. All that remained were two metal girders, one of which was bent and fell short of the other side. As a child, this was a game of dare. We would challenge each other to walk out on the then wobbly beam and then jump the last bit. But that was as a child. As an adult, I would take the footbridge, or would I? The same strong desire that drove me towards home also challenged me to the wobbly beam. Before I knew it, I was balanced, halfway along the beam, knees shaking, looking at the water flowing beneath me, still unable to swim at that point anyway. What was I doing? The act of turning around was too difficult. Too tired to make a rational choice, I decided to run the last few steps along the slippery, wet and twisted beam and then jump. I would like to say that I flew through the air and landed delicately on the other side. Instead, the reality was an awkward leap followed by an ungracious but reassuring squelch as I plopped into the mud, feeling like a champion or the same. I look back over the bridge with that glowing sense of, yes, I've still got it, more normally felt in middle-aged men. This did mean, however, that I had passed the point of no return. Okay, 
I could walk over the footbridge, but that was against the rules. In front of me was the tricky part, the area of greatest marshiness and a problem I had not expected. Southampton waters produce what is known as a double tide. There's the low tide, high tide and sometimes a very high tide. As a child, the very high or double tide was exciting. The small road that went round the area known as the Salmon Leap, so-called for obvious reasons, would flood and we would spend ages racing through it on our bikes. This day, however, the marsh was flooded and the track hidden and softened by the ice-cold, muddied water. Slowly and carefully I went on, trying to keep to the route, trying to find the right places to cross the many rivulets. The water now reaching up to my waist, the going got tougher as my coldness moved from pain to numbness and then to violent shivering. Yes, I had been daft, I'd been irresponsible, yet still I did not feel in danger. I knew danger was there, but I felt I was in control. Even if no one else could do this, I could. I was at home, in the marsh. Before long, I was clear. I was out of that danger zone, and on to the well-beaten path. Then, shortly afterwards, onto the main track, over the Salmon Leap Bridge, past the farmer's fields, and onto the road to my parents' house. I used my key and let myself in. The house was empty. I waited. No one came. I used the phone and phoned round, and then eventually my brother told me that they'd gone away for the weekend. Great, what a wasted journey. But there was some post for me, by the old clock on top of the television. I opened it. I had won £850 on the football pools. Just enough to replace the engine in my car. I stayed the night and then got the train back the next day. Now had it been worth it? Why had the need to go home been so strong? It took me a while before I worked it out. Yes, it had been worth it. I was a young man. I was growing up and I needed to say goodbye. Goodbye to the child on the bridge. Goodbye to the marsh. Goodbye to that house, to that home. I was learning that my home was no longer there but somewhere inside of myself. The marsh is still there. The last time I visited it, it had changed, no longer wild, now a nature reserve with broader pathways, accessible, tamed. All those memories, all that thinking, all brought back to me by a taste of whiskey. No wonder it's magical stuff. It's hard to explain, but that combination of contrasting flavours, smooth but edgy, sweet yet bitter, balanced, yet contradicting, like that home calling that I had. To me, it seemed to make sense. So here it is. This is the home calling. 
It's a Tobomori 15-year-old cask strength, single cask, limited edition whiskey. Distilled in 1996, bottled in 2011 at 57.1% ABV. And I hope you've got a bottle. If you haven't, then you should be able to buy one off of my website www.themaltedmuse.com Although there's only 252 bottles of this whiskey in the world. So when they're gone, they're gone. If you want to contact me, you please do so. You can do this by email at jim at themaltedmuse.com. You can do it through the website and you can contact me via Twitter or by Facebook. Again, the details of that are there on the website. It, I hope you'll try this whiskey and I hope you'll try some of the other whiskies that are going to be coming along after this one. And I also hope you'll listen to the More to Muse podcast. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. <laughs>